Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing Drama with Dana Wilkie Uncensored. We have officially moved to Patreon. Here's a sneak peek of Dishing Drama with Dana Wilkie. Hi, you guys. Oh, my God. We have such a great show ahead today. But I have to tell you, I'm having so much anxiety as I record because my son, John, is taking the SSATs. This has been two years in the making, the training, the workouts, the mental capacity, the the studying every vocab word you've never heard of under the sun, math into the next universe. I mean, it's so intense. And he is taking the test as we speak. And I'm freaking out. So I said to myself, let me call somebody who could calm me the fuck down. <laughs> and there's only one person on this planet that can do that. And well, let me get him on the phone. Hello, you guys. I've been on pause, but we're going to hit motherfucking play. I'm back. I also came to help John with the, I was just going to cheat and do the test for him, but then I realized he's actually a lot smarter than me. So he's back to doing the test himself. Um, I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) So you guys, it's very exciting because... Casey has been working. Tell them, can you tell them anything about what you've been doing, Casey? I don't want to say anything that I'm not allowed. Yeah, yeah. I've been working for a comedian for a while now. Um, and we're <laughs> working on a feature film with my sister, doing some LA stuff. And yeah, I decided, you know what? It. I just have missed you guys. I've missed Dana. It was time for a little return. So I'll be popping in for the next three shows yeah yep yep he Over is the holidays he's gonna be helping me so much and he's got oh my god you guys the ideas of the shows that casey told me he's doing i'm so excited for you it's gonna be nice for you to have a different energy uh take a break from the same old me and uh he's got some amazing ideas so i'm really excited i don't know which ones he's gonna do but it's gonna be great <laughs> I'll, I'll just give you a little sneak peek of what you can look for from me is that on January 13th, I'll be writing uh, again for the Critics' Choice Awards. So you guys got to tune into that. It's going to be very funny. Any jokes about Jacob Elordi, those are written by me because those are going to be most of my jokes about Saltburn. He's so hot. I love him. Yeah, I'm really excited, guys. All right, cool. And Casey might have some celebrity stories he might tell you maybe if you're lucky <laughs> if you're lucky you filthy little animals all right so uh i'm gonna let casey go now that we told you this and get back to the show come on bitch, bitch, bitch let's go <laughs> So we're going to discuss a few things today, but one thing I wanted to talk about is I kind of couldn't help myself and I continued a deep dive on 
the Kardashian dynasty, if you will. I had started reading another Kardashian book called Kardashian Dynasty by Ian Halperin. I wanted to see if any of the stories in his book would differ from the other resource that I have been sharing with you along with tabloids, etc. over the last two weeks. And I, I got really intrigued right away because of a few things. Number one, Ian Halperin talks about another prophecy besides the one we know about that Robert Kardashian was told that his family name was going to be, you know, world famous. And there was another prophecy, it turns out, that really impacted the Kardashians early on. And it actually saved the lives of all Kardashian family. And I wanted to share this story with you because I think you're going to find it really interesting. So I'm going to play you the, the story in its entirety. But essentially what I'm going to play you is a story about an elder in a village where the Kardashian early generations are from. And this man, who is an elder, uh, had made a prophecy when he was 14 years old to his village that everybody had to leave this village or they would die. And he suggested everybody go to the West Coast. And then everyone pretty much ignores this prophecy for a long time. The boy becomes a man. He hits a certain age. And then all of a sudden, he's like, I want to remind everybody of the prophecy when I was 14. But I want to now say that it's the time. Like, we have to go now or we're going to all die. And we've got to go to the West Coast. So listen to me, village, and go. And well, the Kardashians did listen and they left and they followed this man's lead to the West Coast. And this is what ends up obviously creating the generation of Kardashians <laughs> that we know of today. But it was yet another prophecy story that's high impact in the Kardashians' generational storyline. Let me play over you. Four decades earlier, another boy from Karakale named Efim Klubenikin, an illiterate 12-year-old, was said to have issued an apocalyptic prophecy. Those who believe in this will go on a journey to a far land, while the unbelievers will remain in place. Our people will go on a long journey over the great and deep waters. People from all countries will go there. There will be a great war. All kings will shed blood like great rivers. Two steamships will leave to cross the impassable ocean. The prophecy was ignored, but in the early years of the 20th century, Klubenikin, now a respected village elder, called a meeting of church leaders from the region and reminded them of his boyhood prediction. He warned them that the time was coming for them to escape Russia and that soon they would be barred from leaving. He pointed to a map of the west coast of the United States and declared that his people should settle in America, the land of the living, before it was too late. He prophesied this was the time for them to leave Russia as there were terrible times coming, especially for the Armenians, Researcher Joyce Kiosobabian Biven later told the London Daily Mail. Over the next 10 years, more than 2,000 ethnic Armenians heeded the warning and fled to California, even as their friends and neighbors taunted them for believing such superstitious nonsense. In 1913, Tatos's parents made their way to Bremen and boarded the SS Brandenburg to Philadelphia. A month later, 17-year-old Tatos followed on the SS Colm. On board the cramped ship, he met another fleeing jumper, Thomas Shakarian, whom he would later marry. Four years later, 
as the First World War raged and Russia became engulfed in revolution, Turkish forces stormed the region, massacring Armenians, including virtually every inhabitant of Karkale. Eventually, more than 1.5 million Armenians would perish in a genocide that was said to have inspired Hitler's final solution. Today, Armenians refer to the slaughter as the Great Calamity. If the Kardashians hadn't heeded the warnings of the prophet Efim Klubenikin, they would almost certainly have been counted among its victims. Okay, so that's really wild, right? So there's another prophecy that's given to the Kardashian family and it really impacts the trajectory of things, kind of adds to the mystical nature of this family, right? That's why I wanted to play it. A little X-Files action there to talk about these very strange prophecies surrounding the Kardashians. Uh, but that is not what today's show is about. Actually, today's show is about Bruce Jenner. I'm going to wrap up some intel I wanted to finish up about Chris Kardashian, Robert Kardashian, that I, is juicy, or I wouldn't include it. And then I want to move on to Bruce Jenner, uh, aka Caitlyn Jenner, because I was pretty mind blown with some of the research that I found out in this book about her. And uh, I just, you really need to hear this. So I'm going to share it. Let's get into it. In Ian's book, he focuses a lot of time in some of the detailed court filings between Robert Kardashian and Chris Kardashian. And in those court filings, it really gets into some depth about each person's idiosyncrasies and weaknesses. Robert, it turns out, has a vicious temper, which is why he loses custody of the kids to Chris Kardashian. Chris Kardashian is diagnosed with kind of a narcissistic sounding diagnosis by the court appointed psychologist. Uh, they say that she's impulsive and childlike. She doesn't live in reality. She romanticizes things. And because of that, she can be very impulsive and selfish. Whatever. There were restraining orders filed and Chris Kardashian herself was called a bitch and a whore and other names by Robert Kardashian. He also shed some additional light on Bruce Jenner and Kris Kardashian's relationship, which I didn't know. For example, one of the things that comes out in this book is that Bruce Jenner was really attracted to the fact that Kris Kardashian had four children like himself, and he felt like that was a really strong bonding thing, and he respected her for having loads of children. Another thing that was um, very important to Bruce Jenner was that Kris Kardashian was a right-wing Republican, and believe it or not, Bruce Jenner at one time was homophobic, and he actually didn't believe in any, you know, gay rights or any of those things, and as a result of that, he found a common bond with Kris Kardashian over this kind of political thinking. Um, yeah. Ian also, in his research, found out that Kim Kardashian was very close with Bruce Jenner from the very beginning and got along really well with him. But Kourtney Kardashian did not like Bruce Jenner in the beginning and would run away 
and Robert Kardashian would have to go find her and lashed out and wouldn't do what Bruce Jenner asked of her. And they had a really tumultuous relationship um, because she didn't want Bruce Jenner to be her father. So I thought that would intrigue you guys. She also would wear all black all the time when Bruce Jenner was around as a silent protest of him becoming her new parent. So I suppose, given that she used to dress symbolically to protest things, right, in her childhood, in her teen years, we could draw the conclusion that potentially she might do that to this day, which might explain some of her wardrobe choices with her men, Scott Disick and now Travis Barker, and some of the things that we're seeing uh, her wear now on the Kardashian, right? Like she actually does use clothing to get messages across. So I thought you might find that interesting. I'll let you use that however you want in what you've seen going on in the Kardashians right now, <laughs> right? And even the wedding and some of the drama that's been surrounding fashion with the family members. So uh, anyway, I'll leave that there for now. And in Ian's book, he goes into more detail about the peace treaty that Bruce Jenner negotiates with Robert Kardashian, because it turns out that the Robert Kardashian uh, divorce was lingering and it was a constant battle for 18 months. And when Chris ends up being thick as thieves with Bruce Jenner and he appears to want to marry her, the story you may remember from last week's episode was that Chris Kardashian was like, oh, you know what? I don't need any money from Robert Kardashian. I'll just live off Bruce Jenner's money and that'll be that. But it turns out that wasn't 100% the truth, even though that's what Kris Kardashian and Bruce Jenner has said on every docuseries book, etc. Okay, so let me tell you what the truth is. She says, you know what? I don't want any money from Robert Kardashian. He can keep the house and all this stuff. I just want to be able to move on. And Bruce Jenner's like, I'll take over all of your financial burden, as I mentioned before. But what the new information was that came out of this is that he met Robert Kardashian at Hamburger Hamlet, which is a Los Angeles old eatery that people used to go to, I think it was on Sunset. And they met and he just said, look, you keep everything and I'll pick up the pieces. And this was the way that Robert actually finally let the divorce go through because he resented Chris so much because he cited all of these horrible things that Chris was doing with the kids, like bringing the kids around the person she was cheating with. And I guess in one instance, leaving Kim Kardashian at a friend's house when she's sick, throwing up with the flu, making Robert Kardashian sleep on a couch when she has a boyfriend over. And so Robert is just infuriated with her behavior. And so this is the only way that the divorce actually, <laughs> I guess, comes to fruition because of this lunch that Bruce Jenner calls and convinces Robert, you know, by basically giving him what he wants, which is for Chris to leave with nothing except the child support. And that's been the story. I think that was even the story on the recent documentary that they did on the Kardashians, right? But it turns out that Ian's research showed something different, which was that Chris Kardashian was receiving 5000 a month from Robert Kardashian 
for, I guess, the kids. And at this time, 5,000 would be like, I don't know, 12,000, let's say in today's numbers, you know, something like that. So Bruce Jenner actually didn't have enough money at this time to give Kris Kardashian the same lifestyle that Robert was giving her. And so although it, it made it sound like Robert gave her nothing, that isn't really true. The truth is, that Robert actually was paying her a lot of money in child support towards the children. And Chris was living off that money with the kids. And at this time, the truth is Bruce Jenner doesn't have a pot to piss in. He lives in a small one-room cottage in Malibu. So why does Chris Kardashian marry Bruce Jenner? It's an excellent question. But what I think the answer is, is that in Bruce Jenner, she sees a commodity that if given some power, can actually make into a multi-million dollar business. And so she sees a business opportunity in him, and he's hot, and he still has cachet because at one point he's a massive celebrity like just a few years before. But I really think what got her excited was Bruce Jenner's potential, and that's why she marries him. Bruce Jenner is a complex guy, and I want to start off this part of the pod today just essentially letting you know why he was so famous and made any money at all. And that is that in 1972, he came in 10th place in Munich at the Olympics for the World Decathlon Athlete. He then competed again in 1976, and he wins the gold medal and becomes America's darling in terms of an athletic spokesperson, because at this time, athletes have as much power as like an A-plus celebrity. And he's one of the first people that really take advantage of this and get the multi-million dollar endorsement deals. Now, this is going to become really important later. So I just wanted to start with this. So now that I've said that, one of the biggest criticisms that happened towards Bruce Jenner's brand back in the 1970s was that he was kind of a hooker for brands. And he was considered very overexposed and people didn't like that he exploited sports so much for money. And his response to that was, I had to work. I had to take everything because we needed money. By we, I do not mean Kris Kardashian we. I mean his first wife, Christy Scott, because it turns out that Bruce Jenner was struggling financially even back then. In fact, Christy Scott, his first wife, had to take a job as a flight attendant, even though it sounds very similar to Chris, <laughs> Chris Kardashian, right? Um, or at this time, it's Chris Houghton. Uh, she, Christy Scott, has to take a flight attendant job to support Bruce Jenner because all he really has time to do is work out to try to win this decathlon. And during this period of time that he's trying to become an Olympian decathlon person, 
he can't do much. He does some insurance sales or whatever part-time, but he really has to focus on his athletics. So his first wife, Christy Scott, is carrying all this, and she has two children with Bruce. And Bruce actually wanted one, didn't want the second one, but she's like, tough, I'm pregnant, I want both, I'm keeping the second baby. And, you know, Bruce finds himself in this really difficult situation where he is struggling financially at the end of taking so much time off to become an Olympic medalist. And so, yeah, now he's got to take care of Christy Scott and do right by her because she sacrificed so much for him and their relationship falls apart in the process of him becoming an Olympian. And now he's got two children he has to support and he had no money. So he had to take every single endorsement deal he could get his hands on. Now, a lot of people believed at this time that the pressure of all of this was what caused the demise of Bruce Jenner's relationship with his first wife, Christy Scott, but it isn't actually true. In fact, what seems to be more the truth is that way back before they ended their marriage, Bruce Jenner admitted to his first wife that he wanted to be a woman and that this may have been actually what damaged the relationship beyond repair and made them go to a divorce situation. Although, as you will hear, she says otherwise. He is one of the most talked about people in the world right now. Bruce Jenner revealing he considers himself a woman in an exclusive interview with our Diane Sawyer. And tonight it's his family's turn to talk his first wife and children coming forward with their struggles and their support in a poignant display of love. Here's ABC's Chris Connolly. I would have to say uh, Christy probably would be the first one to know. Even as she hugged the new Olympic champion of the decathlon in 1976, Bruce Jenner's first wife, the woman now known as Christy Scott, had known for four years of her husband's struggle with gender identity. I can't remember the exact words because it was such a shock to me. He told me he always wanted to be a woman. And understandably, I was speechless. The incongruity of that revelation couldn't help but confound her then. It's so hard to wrap your head around it, particularly because he was such a manly man. But it didn't threaten me. It didn't threaten our marriage. Jenner sharing with ABC's Diane Sawyer memories of a disclosure to Christie that Jenner acknowledges was far from a complete one. I never really hardcore say, look, no, I don't know if I'm going to make it and this male gender here my entire life. You guys come nice and dressed up for the beach. That struggle would take its toll on others, too. Viewers of this November 2013 Keeping Up with the Kardashians episode remember seeing son Brody Jenner confronting his father on camera. You weren't around. I was a kid, and it's like, now's not the time to talk about it. Now, more of Jenner's older children in footage not shown on Friday's broadcast. That was Bert. Recalling a time in the 1980s when their father seemed to vanish. We have a very complex relationship. He's disappeared out of our lives, um, especially out of my life. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this next chapter. Us missing you know, a time of our lives is still probably the, the hardest thing for us to deal with. We're trying not to look back, we're just looking forward. Jenner admitting that the depression and isolation of that gender identity crisis Good smile. led to the former Olympian being absent too often. Mommy. 
You weren't there a lot. Yes. The big formative years for them, I was really struggling with these issues. I talked to all the boys about this after the fact that, you know, yeah, I didn't do a good job. And I apologize to my kids for that. Those children now, with a message for Jenner, all is forgiven as their father embarks on transitioning to life as a transgender woman. In seeing him come out to me and explain his true self, and I was more proud right then to carry the last name Jenner and to be a part of the family than at any time before. The one thing I think that we have gained that means more to us than anything is the honesty. I personally, you know, hope that this is this journey leads to the place that he wants it to. And I'm excited for Bruce to tell his story. On and more staunch support for Bruce Jenner before the interview with Diane Sawyer aired from Kim Kardashian on Extra. Um, as a family, we always support each other 100%. Christy Scott would be just one of the many family members who watched Friday's momentous broadcast alongside Jenner. To see him go through this anguish, I know it's been a, a torment in his life. He was tearful at times, broke my heart. You know, I reached over and tried to give him a little bit of I'm getting emotional now. I try to give him a little comfort. So that's Christy Scott mainly talking in this interview. And I thought you would find it very interesting, his kids saying that he just seemed to abandon them for large chunks of their life. This is obviously not the Kardashian girls or Robert. This is all the kids before them. So Linda Thompson's children and Christy Scott's children. And although Christy says in this interview that this didn't damage her marriage, I don't believe her because frankly, he told her four years before they end up breaking up. Okay, because he wins the gold medal in 1976. He tells Christy that he wants to be a female. And within four years, they not only are separated, but they're divorced by 1981. So I think this took a larger toll on their relationship. Uh, and I think that's pretty reasonable than they're letting on in this particular interview. Also, to get in the head of Bruce Jenner for a second, Bruce Jenner was raised in Mount Kisco, New York, which now is a rich area, but at this time would have been, you know, middle to lower class. His father was in the military. His name was Bill Jenner, and his mom was a housewife who would do work from time to time to help support the family's finances. Bruce had a sister who was a straight A student, and Bruce Jenner struggled with dyslexia and couldn't read. And he found going to school traumatizing for him because he was failing. And in fact, it's all of these like early difficulties that sort of inspire him to become this extraordinary man. Now, he did have great genetics coming from Bill Jenner because it turns out Bill Jenner won a decathlon in the military and he got a gold medal that they had done, like some big military decathlon, you know, from the different areas, and he won it. So he obviously had the genetics uh, to do it. Bill Jenner also was an arborist, so he was an outdoorsman and was probably pretty strong and in good shape. Well, like all kids, Bruce Jenner just yearns to be special in some way, and he just can't seem to achieve it in school academics, mainly because of his dyslexia that is not being diagnosed. I can't read. 
you know, and it's hard to do school well if you can't read and no one's helping you kind of disability. So he has this moment where finally they have this like obstacle course and Bruce Jenner's asked to run the obstacle course in fifth grade with the rest of his classmates. And he's so fast and so good at it that for the first time ever, he experiences what it's like to be the superstar of the, the school, of the class. And he loves the feeling because now he's special. But there was another dark secret that Bruce Jenner had. And it's not what you think because later he transitions. It's actually that for the full scoop, join the dishing drama Dana Patreon. The link is in this audio description. It's only $6 a month and you'll get the best information and tea about the things you care about and even the things you don't know you care about. What are you waiting for?